Hi, I'm Simon Devereaux, Director of Global Talent Development at Framestore, and welcome to the Framestore podcast, a learning and talent development focused podcast made by Framestore for Framestore. On this week's two-part episode, we are joined by Suzanne Jandu, Head of 2D for Integrated Advertising based in London. And joining us this week as guest co-host is Sterling Tipton, a compositor at our Montreal studio. What a brilliant episode this was, a comp special of sorts, where we look under the hood of a fascinating career in visual effects. So please pull up a chair, settle in and enjoy episode 28, part one of the Framestore podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Framestore podcast, episode 28. Every two weeks, we invite both a guest from our global Framestore community and a co-host with a keen interest in our guest's role, craft or career path, and we let the magic happen. On today's episode, I warm them up by inviting our special guest to the Framestore podcast daily session, our 13-question grilling, followed by this Thursday's second part, where our co-host leads a deeper dive into why we invited them on the pod in the first place. Our special guest this week is Suzanne Jandu, Head of 2D for Integrated Advertising based in our London studio. Suzanne is an industry veteran, having kicked off her career as a lighting TD and compositor in 1998 at MBM Studio 345. Since then, Suzanne spent the latter part of the 90s and all of this century to date working through the ranks of compositor, lead, supervisor, and now head of department at a number of Toronto and Montreal-based studios, as well as Meteor Studios, Weta, MPC, ILM, and now Framestore, where she's been since the summer of 2018. Her list of projects are truly endless, with a huge body of incredible commercial work to her name, including some big film and episodic shows, plus a certain James Bond credit sequence that you may be aware of. Notable projects include King Kong at Weta, working on NPC's VFX Oscar winner, The Jungle Book, Jurassic World and Bird Box ILM, then Jingle Jangle, Invasion Season 2, His Dark Materials, Wheel of Time and Black Mirror at Framestore. Not forgetting some incredible work in Framestore IA, particularly 3 Mobile and the excellent Paramount Plus promo. Suzanne, as we've said, is an industry heavyweight that we're very excited to have here on the Framestore podcast. Our co-host for this conversation is Sterling Tipton. Sterling is a compositor over at our Montreal studio whose career path kicked off at MPC in 2015 and quickly grew momentum with comp roles at Framestore, Fifth Wall, Method, then back to Framestore with credits to her name that include Loki, Tom and Jerry, Detective Pikachu, Deadpool 2, and more recently, Barbie. So for our very exciting comp special, please welcome to the podcast, Suzanne and Sterling. How are you both? That was a very long intro and I got it in one take. I almost lost it a little bit with Sterling's intro, but I, I reined it back so I didn't have to do it all over again. But it's a pleasure to have you both. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. How are you? 
I'm all right. I'm very well. I'm very well. All the better for speaking to you both. Um, so uh, it's great to have you on the podcast, Suze. Um, your name has come up. Uh, I know you're a regular listener, as we discussed in our preamble, uh, but your name has come up a few times, even on the last episode, uh, the DMP um, double uh, header that we released two weeks ago, where uh, Kat from DMP in London said, get Suzanne on the podcast and going back, even speaking to the talent team who sit behind me on the third floor here in London and saying, when are you going to get Suzanne on the pod? So I made it, I did it. It was a personal challenge to get you on, Suzanne, but we, we got you here, which is uh, very, very exciting. Uh, thanks. It's really nice uh, to have some shout outs from my colleagues. Um, and I did listen to Kat. It was a really nice episode and, and it was great to hear her uh, on your show. Yeah, she did a she did a great job, and uh, and this episode completes a bit of a hat trick for co-hosts because uh, Sterling here has come very prepared for part two. I've seen the Google Doc. We rarely get a Google Doc on the podcast. Um, Cat equally was ridiculously well prepared as well, and then we had Harsh before speaking to uh, Roxy Prophet, who also had numerous pre-calls. And so this is a new new a new dawn for co-hosts. I think where, where everybody's super duper prepared. It's brilliant, more prepared than me. Um, but yeah, how are you, Sterling? It's good to have you on the podcast too. Doing good. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Uh, good to know that I'm among the better prepared because I definitely don't feel it. You are. So. Yeah. <laughs> and, and nothing against previous co-hosts, by the way, if any of them are listening. It's just the last three have been much better. What, what can you say? <laughs> uh, no hate, honestly. Everybody has done an absolutely bang up job. It's been brilliant. Um, so Suzanne, um, preparing for this podcast, uh, what I always do is I look at obviously IMDb and LinkedIn. And while I was preparing my kind of intro, it, I was taken I was taken aback by all of the the, the shows and projects because you've worked on obviously loads of commercial work with your teams in IA, as well as you know going back to like we say the late nineties, working on some huge projects like the Harry Potter's of the world. And I know you worked on uh, Passengers and King Kong over at Weta must have been a mad experience. I mean. Uh, how does it feel hearing that kind of uh, echoed back at you in the in true podcast fashion? Yeah, I feel really proud to have worked on such amazing projects. Um, you know, especially when I was a kid, I was I was obsessed with understanding credits and knowing who all these people were that were working on all these films. Um, and so to hear your name or to see your name in a credit is just mm. it's it's still exciting. That's super cool. And actually, we talk a lot about the uh, credits because when I talk, when I give advice to like, next generation talent coming up, I always say, watch the credits, find all of the kind of people that are working in roles that you want to work in, not just the kind of super senior roles, but the kind of, you know, the junior artist roles, the kind of, you know, the production assistant kind of coordinator roles and try and contact them to get kind of advice. Um, it almost feels kind of like, a, I don't know, an ignored pastime with uh, the current generation that just don't, unless there's a kind of, promised cut scene at the end of a marvel movie people tend to just run away at the end of a movie and they don't sit through the credits and appreciate all of the amazing people that made that magic happen you know yeah i agree i love sitting through credits i love to see all the work that's been put into a film absolutely um i always make my kids sit at the end of a, i heard you say that you make your kids sit yeah. <laughs> and yeah. i was i was uh thinking the same thing unless we have to you know run to the toilet at the end we are well, or we, sometimes we even come back but we do sit through them 
when nature calls it's got to be done right but yeah it's yeah. always so, it's so important it's so important for sure and again i have a constant gripe about the vfx credits being left so you know almost after the carpenters and the fitters and the joiners but you know hopefully that will change in the uh, the not too distant future um so like i say really really great to have you and uh as part of my research, uh, I think you flagged with me, Suzanne, that uh, your your work on uh, the film Passengers, the, uh, the, uh, the the Chris Pratt vehicle, the science fiction movie, uh, the, the, the the sunshine asset that, that you, you and the team worked on is uh, allegedly still used as reference material for VFX artists the world over to this day. Is that fair to say? Is that a bold statement? I, I think I think so. You know, um, we. I was working with a really amazing guy called um, Chavi. His full name is Javier Martin. Hmm. and he was and still is probably one of the best vfx artists in the world Hmm. um he's so incredibly talented and we had so much fun just trying to you know referencing suns and uh trying to make you know the effects move in the way that we thought the sun you know uh would shine and Hmm. uh all the surface materials and it was it was just a lot of fun and we did have a lot of time to put that together as well yeah um so yeah it was it was great fun and i know um uh some of the sons that we've done at frame store we've we've always gone back to look at that one uh, because i think it was so successful it's an amazing sequence and i I made a point of uh youtubing it earlier (laughs) appreciate its grandeur (laughs) it's amazing it is amazing and i it's one of those movies that you know like any film like unless you you're watching a, a you know a a, a 1970s classic you know that you tend to watch the digest these films once maybe twice and then you move on to the next big thing and uh, i watched it once enjoyed it but then going back to it and actually pre- looking at looking at that shot through a different lens particularly kind of having this conversation was amazing like it was an incredible incredible sequence i think also you know when you're so involved and you're looking at something every day you're so hypercritical yeah um going back a year going back two years later, going back five years later, you know, you, you just see, you see it in a completely different way. It's so much fun. I think I'll go back and have a look at it as well. Yeah. Um, it just, yeah, it's, it's, it's always nice to take a step back and look at your work. Yeah. Um, especially with time. If you, if I, I have found in the past that I've gone to the theater to see something that I worked on, you know, very closely to after we finished it. And, uh, you can't separate yourself from the work. Yeah. Uh, so giving yourself a little bit of time and a little bit of distance is the best way to look at the work sometimes. That's really interesting, particularly with uh, I mean, any of the projects you've worked on. Because I imagine one thing I've learned doing this podcast actually is if you watch it too soon, you, you, you still be, I mean, it takes years, some of these shows to work on, right? So you, um, you, you attach that whole journey to the, the, the film or the movie or the storytelling and actually almost giving it maybe six months till you go and see it or something just to watch it as a yeah I mean sometimes I can't follow the story because I'm so yeah. immersed in all the work that we did yeah that I forget to listen to the dialogue because I'm so engrossed in the mm. visuals um, I used to have a really hard time with that when I first started in visual effects because I I'm such a visual person that I would kind of my ears would turn off <laughs> mm. my eyes would open wide and I would just be engrossed in the visual and then I would have to go back and see the movie again yeah you know because I would have to be able to take it all in um and I have people asking that all the time they always say can you actually focus on a film (laughs) I can do that now but at the beginning it was very very difficult yeah yeah exactly again it's almost like watching it as just a series of it's like a gallery 
just watching a kind of series of beautiful images and then come back and put the, the, the two together. It, it, does that resonate with you, Sterling? You know, you've worked on some uh, some big shows over the years. Definitely. I Exact same. I've been nodding my head this whole time. It's funny because I think I've actually ruined my husband for movies as well. Because <laughs> <laughs> he started, he wanted to understand what I do because he thinks I just sit here and he goes, art, art, art all day. <laughs> uh, but so he, he started learning more about the effects himself. And now he makes the same kind of commentary that I do about visuals. And uh, mm. I, I hope it hasn't completely ruined his movie view- viewing experience. Uh, <laughs> it might take a little bit while longer for us to to get back into really appreciating it, like you said. Yeah, maybe your, your other half needs to give it six months before he sees any shows you've worked on as well, then have a <laughs> oh, full yeah. kind of movie, movie TV show hiatus before he gets into it. Definitely. Thank you, Sterling. And uh, yeah, one thing you mentioned when we were catching up prior to this uh, this podcast, uh, Suze, is uh, you mentioned the the Goblet of Fire, the Harry Potter movie. So you did, uh, was it Look Dev you did on, on a particular scene that you were super proud of? Uh, I think it was the, the wand duel with, uh, with Voldemort. Yes. So on Goblet of Fire, we did the wand duel uh, between Harry and Voldemort. Um, and yeah, it was because it was such an exciting time for Harry Potter to be out, you know. Um, yeah. What makes it really great is when, you know, being given the responsibility to do something kind of so big. Mm. And then, two, the most fun part is watching your family and your friends react to yeah. you telling them. And I still love, you know, telling people that I worked on it because it's so it's cool. kind of iconic. You know, it's you, you can you can't say you worked on a sequence and everybody know what you're talking about, but you can say I worked on a Harry Potter film. Uh, Harry versus Voldemort, and everybody knows yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there were there were a few shots that I um, worked on the look dev, and also got to comp a few shots. Um, and you know, you're learning the whole way through, and um, I learned some really good timing and some and how to relight a character, and you know how to do like kind of blow up effects, and and how to get a blast working, and so. I think part of the reason that was so special is because I learned so much while we were putting it all together. Yeah. I mean, I was, I'm so interested in the craft of look dev as well. I, I've attended a few of Vincent or Petty's presentations on the work, the work we did on the last of us in FPS. And one thing I really took from look dev is almost you inform literally what that, that shot looks like. So whatever the VFX teams do after that is based on that, you know, you, you've informed the color palette, the the look and feel, the the beats, the shots, that I don't know, the angles, just, you know, those iconic scenes that will live forever. You know, that you've laid the foundation for them. I mean, I'm not an artist, so, but, you know, the idea of laying the foundation for those amazing shots. I mean, it, it was really a team effort. So, you know, you do have concept artists who have come up yeah. with, you know, a still and then you are working with effects artists who have to come up with, you know, the way it moves. Mm. And then you're going in and looking at the reference and talking to the VFX groups and understanding what their vision is. Mm. Um, so there's there is a lot of collaboration. Um, I would say the most fun part is when you get it right and you put everything together and it starts working. That's kind of the thing that that is most exciting because when you get to that point, you are excited to show people. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like acing an exam. You did something really great and you just want to show everybody. Yeah. Everything clicks. Everything clicks, yeah. I love that. I love that. 
Well, I'm in danger, as I always do on this podcast, of, of, of rinsing all of my questions in the preamble and not asking the set questions. It's against all the podcast laws that exist. I could go to podcast jail if I don't get into the format, which is, of course, the Framestore Podcast Dailies, and of course, handing over seamlessly to Sterling, who will then uh, ask whatever she wants, really, for part two. Um, so stay tuned, uh, listeners, for this Thursday's episode. But I think we should get into the dailies, Suze, if you are, are primed and ready. Are you, are you ready for the, the dramatic yeah. sound effect to drop from on high? <laughs> I am. Can't wait. All right, here it comes. And we are into the dailies officially. And uh, the first question is, as always, who, where, what? Who are you? Where are you? And what are you working on? But only if you're allowed to talk about it, which I imagine you probably aren't. Um, I think I can talk about it. So uh, I'm Suzanne, uh, known as Suze, I guess, at Framestore. I work in London and I am currently working on a Netflix film called Lift, um, starring Kevin Hart. Uh, And I am also doing a showreel breakdown uh, for the work that we did on Sky Sports, The Greatest Show. Um, if you look around London, you'll see posters for it everywhere. Yeah, I think I've seen that. Uh, so we did the the ad for that. And uh, and yeah, so I'm doing the breakdowns for all the work that we put into 70 shots in three weeks. It was quite a momentous task. Wow. And that's on the, the, the showreel piece, the, the, the Sky Sports? Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. And two very different shows then, right? So two very different projects. The lift, is that like, you know, tra- more traditional VFX type work versus the more kind of, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how I'd describe a show reel, but yeah, as a project, are they two very different approaches for your teams? Um, yeah, I would say so. I mean, the lift project um, was, uh, had a little bit more time, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, but uh, and the Sky Show, uh, the Greatest Show ad that we did, um, it was a Provo, so we had a little bit less time. This one particularly was uh, very fast paced, hmm. um, but there were seventy shots, sixty assets or something like that. Wow. Uh, lots of green screen removals. Uh, you know, lots of creative stuff. We had a creative director who was guiding us on the look. Wow. It was kind of supposed to look like the greatest showman. Yeah. And so we were matching the greatest showman feel to um, what was filmed on set and then the visual effects that we were putting in. So we did complete CG backgrounds. Um, and, you know, our compositors worked really hard to yeah. to get that vibe, you know, that kind of really cool circusy vibe. Okay. Is that with the Giselbo? Is that the... Yes. Yeah, I thought, yeah, I thought I saw that. Yeah, I mean, it looks amazing. It looks very faithful to The Greatest Showman as well. Almost kind of double take when I saw uh, Idris Elba with his top oh, hat on. And, we did a yeah. good job then. Absolutely. In my view, yeah, in my, <laughs> my humble opinion. Um, wow. And, and and in terms of your role as head of 2D, Suze, so, you know, what is your role in all of that? Because, you know, I imagine with a, a show of that brevity, there's so many people working on it. I mean, from a leadership perspective and a creative and technical perspective, what are you doing on that particular project? Um, on well, on the greatest show um, on the Sky Sports promo, I uh, I kind of stepped in as 2D suit because mm. um, our lovely Matt Thomas uh, was going on holiday. Okay. Uh, so he set. I can't take credit for it. He set up the entire the entire thing. He had all the shots all nearly comped. 
Um, and then I just stepped in and kind of did the finessing and, you know, whatever the client requests were and worked with the team to deliver. Um, so I do that a lot. I'll step in and help finish up the show. Um, but my day-to-days are more about managing the comp team, uh, hiring, yeah. uh, doing annual reviews and probation reviews, mm. you know, attending HOD dailies. We look at all the work in the studio and integrated advertising and we... Uh, just there's a level of quality control that we look over just to make sure that we're happy with yeah, of course. Um, what, how all the work is looking. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's a lot of um, souping on the box, um, which I think is a, on the one hand, it's, it's, it's a lot of, it's kind of like a lot of jobs all in one. Yeah. So there's a lot of multitasking going on, but on the other hand, it keeps me informed about the tools, mm. um, you know, workflow, um, and coming up with ideas on how to improve, you know, pipeline and just to help the team with whatever they're, you know, whatever they need, um, because you need to have that certain understanding of what it is that they're experiencing to be able to help them. Yeah. So I would say it's a, it's, it's quite a few jobs all wrapped into one. Yeah. I mean, I used to do a, a workshop years ago about management and leadership and how, when you move from doing, being a creative or being more, I guess, more task driven to leading and managing teams you almost go from doing the one thing well to having about 17 18 different jobs because you've got to be you know the negotiator you're the, the pastoral care doing all the performance reviews developing people um you know right strategies you know and creative and i've always admired people that can manage particularly in creative roles move from that creative position into a leadership role and balance the two so like you say Suze, you know you're doing the appraisals you're doing the the day-to-day people management but you're also staying in touch with workflow and that kind of creative eye that you need to have i mean it's no mean feat i mean what's your what's your secret in keeping uh keeping that balancing act uh, going oh i don't know that's a good question um i think just the i think the passion for the art is kind of key you know like i love making pictures i love making art um and i love trying to make things better mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm also a people person, you know, I love chatting to my team, um, strengthening our team and making it better and helping people. I just really, I guess that's kind of like the mum in me. I, I kind of like, yeah. you know, I like taking people under my wing and, and, and just trying to make things better. Yeah. So I think, I think it's kind of those two things wrapped up into one. Yeah. It's two really nice uh, spheres, like you say, the passion for the artistry and the creative and, and yeah, just caring about people and, and people, you know, seeing people grow and develop and go off, go off and do it and create amazing things, right? I mean, that's what. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. That's good advice for anybody aspiring to uh, to leadership from our listenership or anyone else really who comes across this podcast. So that's a great answer. Thank you. Thank you, Suze. And uh, I hate, I don't know, I need to take this question out. We were talking about this before we hit record about perhaps looking at fine tuning the questions. I always ask, how long have you worked here? But I kind of give that away in my intro, but I have to ask it because it's in the questions and I. Yeah, I don't know any other way out of it, so I'm going to ask it. So how long have you worked at Frame Store, Suze? And how long have you been in the industry? I started in July 2018, so it's been about five years. Excellent, five years. Which I can't believe. It's gone by so fast. Yeah, flown by, right? And then did you come in as head of 2D? I did, yeah. Amazing. Wow. And was that your first head of department role? Or Because I know you did lots of lead roles before, but this is your first official leadership gig. Yeah, it, it, it was my first role. And I was very hesitant, actually. Um, I, I, I didn't, like, apply for the job. Um, you know, like, 
fill out some forms and apply for the job or anything. I was approached by um, a colleague who asked me to come in and have a chat. And at first I said, no, I was quite happy where I was. Mm -hmm. But then I came in and I I met the teams and um, I had a couple of lunches and uh, went to the office and um, yeah, was slowly convinced that um, Framestore was the place to be. And the interesting thing was I had, you know, I had started asking around uh, because obviously having worked at NPC for so many years and just being in Soho, Framestore was right around the corner from NPC at the time. Yeah. And um, I'd always known Framestore was there, but I didn't know what the company was run like and mm-hmm. just before joining um, or thinking about it, I asked, you know, lots of colleagues and I didn't hear a single person say a single negative thing about Framestore. So I was, I was really curious to see what Framestore was like. And here you are five years later. And here I am. How's it going? How's your first five years been? I'd be remiss of me not to ask. How's how's the ride been since that? Well, uh, it's 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 been great. Yeah, it's been great. It's um you know it's been up and down because uh you know starting off was pretty scary. Head of yeah. TD, it's quite a big sort of position to fill, and just getting to know the team and understanding mm. workflow and pipeline. Like it was it was it was a lot a lot going on. I also had two young girls, so I was running backwards and forwards yeah. from home and just trying to manage all of that. A lot of change. And then COVID hit. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And so when COVID hit, things sort of slowed down. And um, like for any parent who you know was running this crazy lifestyle of like you know working, running to work, running home, worrying about homeschooling, and yeah, it really changed everything for me um, because now I was able to have that breathing room of being able to work from home, see my kids more mm. um, and not stress as much. Um, so, yeah, so it's it, 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 it's it's been a ride. <laughs> yeah, I always forget, you know, not forget, but, you know, obviously I've, I did all the my, my lazy LinkedIn research. But, yeah, that period of time was, you know, independent or not independent, but a good chunk of two years in the middle was a full-blown lockdown kind of you know the end of the world situation so you just forget don't yeah. you yeah and you know if when you're trying to work and you and you're trying to homeschool oh, and started on that. you know the kids yeah. are asking you questions and at the time you were taking work very seriously and so you didn't want the kids in the camera frame mm. and you didn't want you know to be as disturbed but we slowly started to become human I think like after a couple of weeks we just kind of let it go and yeah. the kids could come in and, you know, they know my colleagues now, Yeah. Um, you know, they would come in and say hello and, you know, uh, it, it became nice. We got to, we got a glimpse into seeing how people live a little bit, what their houses look like. Yeah. Um, I think it made it all as much as it's, we're, we're disconnected from each other it made it a little bit more human at the same time too if that makes any sense yeah it does it does yeah because you literally had a window in we're on what i call now a literal window into people's lives where you got to see what they hang on their walls or potted plants and like i say kids pets all kinds of madness going on behind the scenes and it was funny wasn't it because we, we almost tried to emulate work through kind of hangouts and teams and google you know zoom calls and I think we learned a lot about how to do virtual calls as well, didn't we, during that period? Like we just uh, did the same thing, but in a kind of Brady Bunch grid rather than a uh, 
at you know in person meeting. The thing that made me, used to make me laugh was that how everybody used to wave at the end of a, a call, and you wouldn't do that in person. You imagine sitting around a normal meeting room and like going bye bye everybody, yeah. and doing kind of like end of like your, your children's TV presenter wave at the end of a session. But yeah, I mean we could talk about the whole you know, hybrid situation and uh, and lockdown, and I'm sure it might come up in as we go through the dailies. But my my next question, Suze, and I'd love to kind of get your take on this as well, Sterling, is the uh, the question around your break. You know, what would you consider to be your break in the VFX industry because often we think it's just the the first job in industry but actually that break can come from anywhere along your career path if that makes sense so what would you consider to be your big break uh Suze when you felt this is exactly where I need to be well my big break sort of isn't my first break really um because I was you know it had been a dream of mine for since I can remember to work in animation and um, I sent in my demo reel after going to school um, where I was, I had learned soft homage and alias wayfront. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then I was kind of doing temp jobs here and there. And I think it was about eight months to a year where I had put this reel out and I was living in Toronto at the time. And there were, there was not a lot of VFX there at the time. In fact, there was very little, like maybe one or two studios. Um, it's not like how Canada is now. Um, it was a completely different world back then. And so I got a call one day to come in for an interview for this, um, children's uh, animated TV show called Monster by Mistake. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget. I was like reading my notes, you know, like, oh, what if they ask me all the questions that I can't answer them? And, uh, went in for this for this interview and they watched my demo reel and they offered me a job as a lighter and compositor. And I was so over the, like, I don't think I've ever been that happy to be offered a job in my life. And, you know, I didn't even know what, I knew what a lighter was because I had lit all my shots, putting my reel together, but I hadn't comped a single one. Um, So I didn't even know what a compositor was. Wow. But you had the job. But I got the job. Wow. So how did you learn to comp? Was that just working with great mentors and leaders and supervisors? I mean, how, how did that manifest itself? Well, it was, it was in, cause we were learning Houdini at the time. We did um, monster by mistake all in Houdini. So we were comping and lighting and rendering and comping in Houdini. And they sent us on a training course. Oh, nice. So there were probably about 40 or 50 of us that were hired and we all went for training. Wow. So all in one go, that whole department was all in one go. We all went, we all went for training together. Wow. What a great experience. Yeah. It was really Are you still in touch with that team now? Yeah. Yeah. I am with some, with some of them. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess everybody's gone off to do lots of weird and wonderful things all over industry now, right? I mean, that almost feels like an internship cohort of sorts. Exactly. Everybody's all over the world. Everybody's, you know, all over uh, one guy um who was who was who actually went to my university as well um he uh was living in london for a very long time as well yeah and what was it about your reel that got their attention what were you most proud of on your reel at that time (laughs) do you remember it's so funny i always laugh because reels now are just so professional and incredible (laughs) and at the time you know uh, we were the my class and i were the second course to do a 3d animation course Wow. So there was one soft homage course in front of us, and then there, and then we were excited. so, you know, I mean, my reel was like an animated. It was a story about a yo-yo. <laughs> oh, brilliant! 
<laughs> so I had to animate a yo-yo and it, and it was, uh, it had fallen in love with this girl yo-yo and it was just this little love story. So it was, a, it, I actually haven't seen it in years. I should find yeah, it. Definitely. If it's on YouTube somewhere, we can get a, put it in, put a link in the show notes so people can check it out. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so old. You know, we used to save our work on dat tapes. That's how yeah, old. Wow. <laughs> awesome. I love yeah. stories like this. Yeah. Cool. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, the whole kind of idea about reels now is like everybody talks about kind of front loads your, your reel with uh, the one thing that's going to get people's attention because recruiters never watch the whole thing and you know, but having actually just a piece of almost storytelling, like the story of this yo-yo, is, is yeah. really cool, like almost a short film of sort. And I think the lighting and the, you know, I, I had paid a lot of attention mm. to textures and I had yeah. made my own textures and and I was fascinated with lighting. I was, yeah. I was, I was completely fascinated with it. So how quickly did you fall in love with compositing then from kind of having that kind of, you know, yeah, that, that, that hunger to be an animator, working animation and then taking on a comp role you know what was the what was the moment where it was like I, I love comp I'm going to do this for the rest of my career I don't think I had a eureka moment but I do know that a few years later I was working at Meteor Studios in Montreal hmm. and it was the first time I was going to be comping um, live action and CG and we were working on a show called When Dinosaurs Roamed America oh, yeah. and it was because walking with dinosaurs was so uh, popular, which Framestore made. Yeah. And the first time I saw somebody comp some smoke over a CD dinosaur from a plate, it just blew me away. I, I remember thinking, wow, that just looks incredible. Yeah. And I wanted to learn how to do it. I was already there, but I didn't know how to do these, these, these kinds of tricks. Um, and so I was just, I was blown away by the technique. Yeah. Cool. I'll never forget that moment seeing that because I was like, oh, I want to learn how to do that. That's so nice. That's cool. It's cool Cool to pinpoint it to that moment. I like that. Mm -hmm. A lot of big dramatic yeah, moment. That's brilliant. Amazing. Thank you, Suze. So uh, I want to kind of segue to Sterling, actually, because we haven't heard about your big break, Sterling. What would you consider to be your break in industry? Was it getting that gig that in 2015 or does it go, is it prior to that? Is it after that? That's the thing. I, I wouldn't say it was one precise moment. People always assume that, uh, you know, your trajectory is pretty much linear mm. and there, you know, yeah. there's a start point and then you go up from there, but that's not really how it happened for me. Um, I had gone to college or university uh, for video and audio post-production. And uh, French has been another one of my interests. And I actually double majored in it. So I came to Montreal right after I graduated. And uh, I ended up getting a job with a small nonprofit organization in the construction industry of all things, believe it or not, wow. because they were putting together a sort of DIY web portal. And they had all these stock videos they had purchased that they wanted me to edit and integrate with their branding into this website. But I ended up being this jack of all trades. I, by the time I ended my job there, I was their translator, their photographer, their event planner, their copywriter. Wow. Uh, and so I said, okay, I, I need to really step back and focus on what is it that I like doing, uh, which at the time I was really interested in motion graphics. And I knew that 3D was becoming a more and more integral part of video production. Uh, and I didn't really want to be a one-man band after that experience. So I went back to school uh, 
and I did a short certificate that was kind of a whirlwind tour of everything to do with the effect. Uh, and once again, like Sue said earlier, there was no such thing as a class in compositing. Yeah. Uh, now schools are really getting better about that. But uh, at the time, it was just an afterthought of, oh, okay, here's five minutes on how to put your reel together. And this is called compositing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and that's the part that really stuck with me. Uh, but yes, like you said, in, in 2015, um, I had a friend from um, another organization. We, we sang in a choir together, actually, uh, who got recruited from his school into NPC. And they had an opening actually as a data wrangler. And it was a very short contract. <laughs> but I said, yes, get me in there. Uh, and I had the time of my life in that role. I met some of my best friends there to whom I still, still speak to this day. Uh, and I learned about their academy program and I just absorbed all the knowledge I could from their internal training documentation, like a sponge, uh, and put together this terrible reel that if it still exists out there somewhere, I hope no one ever finds that link. <laughs> but it, no. uh, but it, it got me in the door. Uh, and great. yeah, and I, I had some great mentors along the way. And here I am. Couldn't, couldn't have been that bad a real Sterling if it got ah. you in the door. You know, it's all, it's all relative. It's all relative. What two great takes. Thank you so much for sharing those for sure. Um, so kind of segueing into the cheesy question now, which is the, uh, the one that gets all the, yeah, gets, gets, gets you in the feels is the, uh, what's the best thing? about being part of Framestore. So Suze, what is the, what keeps you at Framestore? Um, I really enjoy building a great team. Yeah. Um, I've, I've, I've felt over the last five years that we have really succeeded in, in building a strong, like personable, just lovely human team. Yeah. Um, and I've had a lot of really great feedback from, from people I speak to that, you know, I encourage people to ask questions and uh, share their knowledge and just speak up when they have something to say. Um, so, yeah, I think building the team has, for me has been probably one of the best things about being a part of Framestore. Yeah. And, and people does come up a lot. I mean, it's always become the kind of the, the obvious question to ask because everybody talks about the people, the teams, the, 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 the folks you surround yourself uh, with on a day to day basis. But that's what makes the, that's what makes it a joy to be part of those teams, isn't it? To be part of those people that, you know, get you through the day, whether you get the, you get through the day professionally in terms of hitting targets and delivery or whether it's just about people keeping you sane and being around people that, you know, spark joy you know i think it's uh it's so important completely agree with you yeah and if you you know if you've ever had a job anywhere else outside of vfx you'll know that well this is my experience anyways it's not always that fun mm -hmm. um but being in the vfx community is something really special i feel like we're all very like-minded people yeah agreed um we're all creative to a certain extent um mm -hmm we we look at things similarly um i'd like to think that you know our teams have a really good sense of humor and you know we work hard we play hard um there's just something really special about growing together yeah um there's constant learning curves um in what we do and so riding this wave with my team has just been the best thing 
Yeah, and you, you touch on the, uh, the idea of community, Susan, what you just said as well. Like I, I genuinely think, and I, I talk about this a lot and I've probably mentioned it on previous podcasts. So forgive me listeners, if you've heard this before, but you know, you know, that what we've built with access VFX, the nonprofit, I've always challenged people that, you know, that, that nonprofit wouldn't happen in any other industry. You know, mm-hmm. I've tried it. Yeah. I've even tried it with, uh, with games, uh, I've even tried, suggested it for in the advertising industry. Even tried it in the craft beer industry. One of my old colleagues moved to kind of Camden Town Brewery, and I said, "You can do VFX in craft beer. It's a creative industry." But it, I just don't think. I think there's something special about people who work in visual effects. I think maybe it's because you know the idea of pipelines and every, everything has a knock-on effect on everything else, and perhaps. And, and the credits, you know, uh, looping back to our earlier conversation about credits, when you see that massive block of names, I mean, yeah. they're the people that essentially bring magic to the screen. I think we all share that common, you know, we all had that dream. Yeah, We're all following our dreams and it's and it makes it really special. Everybody that I work with wanted to be here yeah. and worked hard to get here. And I think, mm-hmm. I think because we're all on this journey together to follow our hearts and our dreams that's that's kind of the key to to why we get along so well i love that that's a much better hot take than than mine um suze i'm, I'm getting that noted <laughs> i'm using that i'm borrowing that for future future episodes where i repeat myself again no doubt <laughs> sure that's great thanks no suze. what about you Sterling? do you agree with that I mean, what keeps you at frame so what's the best thing about being part of frame store over there in uh in sunny montreal oh it's sunny today but not always <laughs> ah, there you go it's a good guess yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, definitely. I I think there's a, a spirit of community that is kind of unmatched in other industries. I mean, having spent the vast majority of my career here, I'm definitely biased. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's also a, a sense of, of candidness uh, and casualness that you don't necessarily get in, in other industries. And like, like Suze was saying earlier, it gives a more human aspect to things when you can see that people are genuine, yeah. uh, and always willing to help and yeah. create something bigger than themselves. Yeah. No, it's a good point. I like, you both use the term human and I really like that because, uh, you know, the mentoring program that we set up last year, um, I always describe that as a human program because there's lots of mentoring programs that I've been connected to that are always you know lots of process and procedure there's a there's a, a set timeline against there you have to do certain training beats and it's all very formal and you know the, the way we're set up we just don't have the time to do all of that so it's literally just right there's this person here who has this specialism there's this person who wants to learn the specialism let's just put them together and they can have a conversation and learn from each other and there's something really magical about that rather than just going through and here's a load of paperwork read this and get kind of go through a kind of sheep dip process on that note quick shout out to my mentee christian who was actually the one who asked me if i wanted oh, yeah. to be the co-host on this very podcast Boom. So. <laughs> there you go it's the circle of life exactly live right yeah. here yeah definitely shout out to christian yeah i completely forgot you guys were connected i know that christian got you connected to the podcast but i completely forgot yeah, christian yeah. was your mentee Great so. oh what a great story look at that you heard it here first people you heard it here first all right, right, let's keep this kind of frame store bias train rolling now as we go into the next question then, which is if you could recommend one show or project that showcases frame store at its very best, and this is the unfair question, Suze, because you've worked on a lot, you know, what would be the show you would show to an alien? You know, what's the what's the what's the signature frame store project for you? Oh, it's such a hard question. Um I know. I I don't know how to answer it, but I will just pick this one because there's so many I will pick this one because 
I was personally involved in it from the beginning to the end and it was quite special for me so I'll it was the um no time to die titles the dreams one no time oh, to nice. die and yeah the reason I mentioned that is because we were involved in the early creative with the director Daniel Kleiman um and it was so interesting to see how something gets put together like that because they're so iconic yeah we just we we were so first of all we were so excited to know that we were yeah, going to be working totally. working on something so excited uh, iconic um and then to be given the responsibility to work on the creative and come up with ideas and work closely with the director you know and there were there were a lot of things happening along the way like you know we had a a track at the start that we were working to to just make sure the flow of the piece was working and then the track changed once we knew that Billie Eilish was going to be singing the song uh, okay. and we got first we got to hear it first which was super wow, exciting exclusive. yeah it was so so special and then working and comping on it all the way to the end wow so it was yeah That's coming so up with cool. the creative and then you know delivering it and shipping it out the door so I, that, that's the reason I pick that one but there's so many episodes. no no but it's so cool you mentioned it because I kind of uh, alluded to it in the intro but didn't mention it but it's so I mean, it must have been so amazing to watch that in the cinema you know we talked about credits at the end but to watch the, the Bond credit sequence I, mean, I don't think out of any franchise now there's any there's no credit credit sequences don't exist anymore apart from in Bond movies right I mean you don't really you're straight into movies now really aren't you so to be part of that iconography that's amazing. I think they're coming back, you know, like so. um, we integrated advertising is what we're called, we're called IA, but I like to call us a special projects team because we get to do all of these really cool things. Um, and uh, we've done title sequences recently for 1899 mm, yeah, and we fair. did the titles for Jingle Jangle and uh, titles for Ms. Marvel. Um, mm. I know what you mean by it being... Um, lost in a sense but I do feel like they're coming back and it really excites me because that was one of the first things that I remember as a kid watching a title sequence I watched um The War of the Roses oh, okay. and um there was a sequence with a camera flying over what I thought were sand dunes and then as the camera pulls out it turns out to be Danny DeVito's napkin oh. <laughs> Yeah. And that's how the film starts. And I just remember being absolutely blown away by that when I was a kid. Yeah. Because I just couldn't work out what I was looking at. And I think, yeah, I, I really hope anyways, because I think title se- intro title sequences are something special. Yeah. Because I think they're alive and well in episodic shows. But yeah, in, the, in new big movies, they're just, yeah, non-existent. And I remember watching the, being obsessed with the Tim Burton Batman movie when it, turned, it, it arrived. Like I was at the perfect age for this new Batman movie and I remember buying the graphic novel and you know the obviously the print soundtrack on cassette and the logo looked amazing the big orangey logo and that had an amazing credit sequence where the camera was going through the bat signal and it kind of panned out and you saw the kind of that amazing iconic bat signal but uh, yeah anyway I, I was such a geek about it's this. a really great way to segue into a film and get you you know yeah and get totally. you just build the excitement forgetting about the world and just you know diving into a film it's just the best way yeah that's yeah. a good point actually yeah you think it's almost kind of like the idea of going to cinema is it's escapism isn't it so like you say it's almost like the credit sequence is the vehicle into that world rather than just kind of just dropping you straight into the yeah the action and that's what bond titles do so well is you know they set it all up and 
Oh, brilliant. Love it. What a great answer. Thank you. Um, Sterling, what about you? Any, what would you put up there as the, the signature frame store project? Oh, I'm really on the spot here. I don't know because there's, there's so much work that's iconic that was done before I got here. So I, I could say something like the, uh, the favorite projects that I've worked on personally have been uh, Detective Pikachu and Barbie. And I think it's once again, because they have a much more, both of them have a much more stylized and colorful palette than a lot of the other things that we work on. Yeah. Um, but in terms of frame store as a whole, I know we're very renowned for our work on Paddington, yeah. well-loved, um, and Blade Runner as well, mm-hmm. award-winning, can't deny that. So uh, yeah, those would be my picks. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're great. And actually, yeah, working on Barbie, I mean, it must be amazing to be talking about iconography with Bond. I mean, Barbie's kind of one of those shows that's part of culture, isn't it? It's a, almost a cultural milestone so to be part oh, there's, of that. There's never been so much hype uh, around anything that I've worked on right. or in just in general for years. So that was hmm. super exciting, especially uh, when it came out. I was in New York City and I actually ran through Times Square and I saw the big billboards with all the Barbie characters up on it. It's just oh, mind-blowing. Yeah. <laughs> all that pink. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, so moving on, this, I'm getting to some of my favorite questions now. So uh, all of these have been my favorite questions so far, obviously, but this is my favorite, favorite question, which is the common myth question, Suze. You know, what's a common myth about your, your role, your job, or even your field of expertise? What do people often get wrong? I think... People associate compositing with 2D only, Um, and it couldn't be further from the truth. We have a 3D module, and we do, on the daily, uh, load cameras and geo and stick textures onto objects, and, uh, you know, we have 3D systems for lens flares, um, for face tracking. You know, there's, there's all kinds of reasons why... Um, 3D is a very important part of our daily jobs in 2D. Yeah. So I think that would probably be the common myth. Yeah, that's a really good myth to bust, actually, isn't it? Because I think everybody assumes that it's just literal old school compositing, you know, which I mean, it still has its place. Absolutely. But it's not, doesn't let you stop there, does it? I mean, it's uh, there's so much to it. I mean, I've learned so, again, doing the podcast for me is a personal privilege because I get to learn so much. And I think going back to, uh, Ellen Boss's episode, um, she talked about all the different projects that come out of IA. And it's just ridiculous, the different, the, the scale. And it's not just one, one kind of, you know, product, you know, just, just rinsed and repeated. It's, it's, a, it's a real eye opener. It's a really, really good one. Do you agree with that, Sterling, from a, as a fellow, fellow member of the 2D community? Yeah, um, my assessment of it would be much more generic because, uh, Outside of the world of VFX, there's so many people that have no idea that compositing exists or even what VFX is. So I have to tell them, no, I'm not a composer. <laughs> I am not a composter. <laughs> I am a compositor. And I, I explain it to them in, in layman's terms that it's, it's, like, it's like really, really, really advanced Photoshop on crack. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, or that it's like putting a puzzle together because uh, we are taking things from other departments and uh, massaging them all into place to make that final image. And that's what I love about it. Yeah. I like your description. My description is moving Photoshop, but yours is way better. <laughs> I'm going to start using yeah. it. I'm never going to forget Photoshop on crack. That is amazing. <laughs> that 
that's a game changer for I hope me. I'm allowed to say that on the podcast. <laughs> no, it's all right. It's uh, you know, it's no. We haven't got a restricted an e next to our podcast yet, but I think we can talk. We can use the term crack. I think that's that's all good. That's all good for our, our loyal listenership. Two, yeah, two great myths, well and truly busted for sure. Um, so the next question, Suze, is about lessons learned again, which is another really interesting question. Which is again, you've got a really long career that uh, continues to flourish. Uh, what's the most important lesson? that you've learned to date do you think what's the big one where it's like wow that is never going away oh I really had to think about this one but I the answer I came up with was positivity nice positivity goes a very long way um and it's especially important because we do work very long hours um especially being at the end of the pipeline and we're responsible for so much um you know quality you know anything goes wrong we're the people who fix it so just remembering to keep your chin up and there's, you know, there's ways of doing that. Um, taking breaks, yeah. getting fresh air, talking to your neighbors. And it's, I think it's very, very important yeah. to, you know, stay focused by getting other opinions, yeah. you know, making it lighter if you can. Sometimes we do take thing it's not that we're taking things seriously because what we do is very serious of course but um trying to to remember that it's not at the end of the world we're all artists and yeah i think sometimes it's very daunting to have to present your work in front of so many people and mm. as somebody who's been doing this for a long time sometimes i forget how daunting that can be but i do remember myself having to present my work in front of you know a cinema full of people and i was terrified Mm. um so i think trying to remember to stay positive um especially on hard days um you know reaching out to your fellow colleagues or your mentors or your head of department positivity goes a long way yeah uh, and this is a, a, a recurring theme on the pod about you know whether it be mindfulness or just literally like we said at the start when you you go and watch the, the the projects you've been involved in and almost you know taking a step back and revisiting them six months later it's almost the same with the day-to-day is just like breathe take a step back you know get a different perspective ask a question you mentioned the curiosity earlier and asking questions and just keeping having a sanity check sometimes because it's quite easy to kind of get get yeah get embroiled into whether it's daily sessions or presenting your work and we're creatives at the end of the day and you know yeah. creatives are the it's the toughest gig in the world presenting your work you know I've, I mean I've heard, heard heartbreaking stories on this podcast about shots that people have worked on that then just got completely called by directors and never saw the light of day I mean that is heartbreaking right and it's about just having a sanity check and breathing and be, be, being positive is a gift it really is and it really rubs off, you know, all, a lot of, I'm, I'm proud to say that a lot of our leaders are very positive people yeah. and it rubs off on the team. You know, it really, really does. So especially for leaders, it's very important to, you know, make jokes and, and yeah. thank people for the great work that they've done, even if it's not what they wanted, but you know, yeah. and I think Framester in, in particular is very good at that. I think we're, we get a lot of training and um, like your program, we mentor each other quite a lot. And so um, it is important to remember just to smile yeah. and, and stay focused and positive. Yeah. Yeah. It takes me back to, I think it was the, the Raphael Weiss um, 
uh, episode about just literally asking somebody how they are how how are you doing just checking in with people as well because it means so much sometimes you know not enough people get asked how are you you know yeah well when I'm 2d souping a show I often try to have uh, coffee catch-ups in the morning and I used to mix it up by um, doing like a trivia morning so I would ask you know I, I would throw out a little riddle or whatever and we would start our mornings having a coffee and a riddle um and then we would go through the work and you know there, there was quite a lot of good feedback from that people just felt like they could be human and I got to learn a lot about people I was working with you know I didn't just jump into the work straight away we really had a good we had quite a lot of good laughs and and then you know and then there was a time to be serious and get into the work but wow yeah yeah, just again, just taking time just to just ask those day-to-day questions rather than everything about being about the work all the time. Yeah, and you know, we there are times where we do have to be focused, but um, I think getting to know your team and getting to know what they like doing is really important too. Yeah, I like to assign shots to people when I know that's what they want to work on. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, getting to know who you're working with, I find, is a really important skill to have I don't know if it's a skill but it's you know being able to recognize that you can ask your your fellow colleagues what they like working on and what they what what excites them yeah because I think that's what you're gonna you're gonna get the best work out of those people if they're happy with what they're doing it comes back to understanding your people right I mean you talked about it earlier about you know the balancing the the, the creative uh, passion for the art versus the uh the, the people person kind of skill set and just understanding what makes people tick and what they want to work on and what their ambitions are and their professional development goals you know it's a it's no mean feat knowing all of that but if you can respond to those things I think it just makes for a, a better more balanced team right absolutely and and you know a lot of my team members respond very much very well to it because they they are working on what they want to be working on um I don't want to put somebody on a period drama if they like sci-fi and yeah. you know without me speaking to them I wouldn't know that so I do ask I do ask my team a lot of questions about what they like I love that thank you um so I'm going to move into mentors now and I'd love to bring you into this conversation as well uh, Sterling on the subject of mentoring that you clearly mentioned earlier um, but Suze, who's been your your most important professional mentor over the years? Do you have just one? Because we've we have this running theme of micro mentors on the podcast, but I'd love to get your your hot take on that. Oh yeah, I, I agree. Micro mentors for sure. We mm. we all have so many because you know you you always kind of look up to one person when you're working on a project because you're learning, you know, yeah, from every project. Um, mm-hmm. But one mentor that I have at Framestore is Mike McGee. Oh, cool. And I say that because he has so many qualities that I admire. Um, He's soft-spoken and calm, and he's always trying to better himself, whether it be through Mm -hmm. charities or sports or looking for new creative endeavors. Mm -hmm. Um, He's so approachable and honest and respects his team. And I just admire the fact that there's so much transparency in town halls and that yeah. you can just ask questions if you want to. Yeah. I haven't had that at any other company. Yeah, that's true actually. And I really admire that, that there is space to be heard and to, to ask uh, a question in front of all of your fellow colleagues, which is also, I think sometimes tricky. Yeah. And you know, once I um, was doing a presentation 
and I was panicking a little bit about it. And so um, someone recommended that I talk to Mike. So I approached him and asked him if he could look at my presentation with me, expecting him to spend two minutes. You know, I know he's really busy, but he sat with me and he's, and he spent so much time really trying to help me. And he really, he was really, he was such a good coach. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just, I never forgot that moment, you know, of, of someone who's so incredibly busy and talented spending a couple of, I don't even know how long, I think it was an hour or longer just going through, you know, the entire presentation. And he even gave me his own presentation notes so that I could jazz up mine. Wicked. So yeah, just, great, just, great answer. just a, a great human all around. Yeah. I've actually got him on my hit list for the podcast. Uh, I know we did, we've done a few kind of special episodes and I'd really like to do uh, funny enough, you said talking about presentations, I want to do a presentation skills special with Mike McGee to do a session yeah a, a podcast all about presenting but I think people are also quite keen to hear hear him go through the dailies as well and hear about his uh, his career breaks and, and stories so far so uh, I'm sure Mike's listening so uh, yeah we'll get him on before before the end the year's out that's a great 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 answer thank you Suze how about you Sterling do you have a, 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 a most important MVP professional mentor that you'd like to uh, get recorded forever on the podcast uh, <laughs> I I really can't name just one because like Sue said, uh, working on projects all the time, every project I have a different mentor yeah. um, and they're all great in their own ways and, and bring their own skills and tricks to the table that I have learned from. This is my first time. It's been a year now, I think being a mentor myself. Uh, and I've loved that, but I've also learned that you learn from your mentee as well. It's a two way street. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's so much that I've been taught through that process, um, and uh, things that he's wanted to look at that I wasn't aware of. Yeah. So every, every time you can bounce an idea off somebody is a great opportunity. Completely. And it is, you know, the mentor, the, the trick with mentoring is it's a two way street. You, it's a, always a reciprocal experience. Uh, it's like coaching's the same. You, you unlock things that you, you hadn't thought of. It makes you, makes you an all around better person. So please sign up to the mentoring program if anybody's listening. You know the number. Pick up the, the mentoring bat phone. A nice nod to my, my credit sequence earlier. Uh, brilliant. Thank you both for leaning into that so, so wonderfully. Um, the next question is around underrated tools. Um, and again, it's another personal favorite question, which is uh, what underrated tool or tools are indispensable for you to do the job, Suzanne Jandu? The blur node, definitely. 100%. You can't, you can't be a compositor without loving blurs. Brilliant. Yes. I think Sterling's nodding uh, frantically on over in Canada right now. Do you agree Sterling or do you have a, do you have a counter to that? Oh yeah. No, no, no. Blur, but I would add to it erode as well. Blur and erode. Saved your life. Yeah. (laughs) Amazing. Well, I will let you both bond on that on part two when you get into the more technical compositing uh, conversation. Um, Good, good. Excellent. I like that. I'm sure the compers out there will appreciate that answer. So what's one, right, we're getting into the heavy duty stuff here now to bring us almost to the end of uh, our episode 28, part one, which is what's one piece of advice, a golden nugget of advice that you'd give to someone starting out in your field, Suze? Um, to a certain extent, be your own boss, check your own work and trust your own instincts. Uh, you can ask yourself if you were presenting this to your favorite director, would you be proud to show it? If not, uh, you can ask for help so you can grow your skill set. 
love that. I love that. It's kind of like a, a really strong prep, isn't it? I love the idea of you know presenting to your favorite director. You know, really kind of leveling up the uh, the anxiety. You know, presenting to Christopher Nolan or presenting to Steven Spielberg. Exactly. Or, but, I, but I like that. It's almost kind of role play going on, which I quite like. Very strong. I love it. It's important to take the ownership of your work. Yeah, I really like that. I just like this kind of uh, sense. And I know we're touching on this in this episode around kind of taking a step back and breathing and pausing and just kind of, you know, don't just kind of, it's like anything. You, you, you do get that first draft and hit submit. You know, it's not just about favorite directors, right? It's about anybody, you know, sharing it with uh, your peers or, or, or people outside of your department, you know, get, get as many sets of eyes on it as possible. So I think that's really good, really good advice. Yeah, exactly. It's great advice. Yep. What about you, Sterling? Have you got any kind of killer nuggets of advice you want to share with our listeners trying to get into comp? I would say the biggest thing is to step out of your comfort zone. Because there's been so many times when I want to just, you know, curl up in the corner and know I can't do it. It's it's too scary, too daunting, or I'm going to fail. But the longer you sit and overthink something, the the bigger a cloud is going to become yeah. over your head. Uh, so just get out there, do it, and roll with the punches. Don't overthink it. Yeah. Yeah. Get stuck in. And uh, my next question is, uh, it's similar. Uh, and really, it's about me kind of filling in the gaps, because I like to think on the podcast that we cover all bases. But what's one question you wish I'd asked you? And how would you have answered it? <laughs> Uh, probably what was my favorite film of the year. I love, I love chatting with my colleagues and my friends about films we enjoy. Okay. Um, so I'll ask you first, what was your favorite film of the year? Oh yeah, putting me on the spot there. My favorite <laughs> film of the year. So I've recently been to see Barbie, which we touched on earlier. I wouldn't say it's my favorite film of the year. I'm going to throw that to Sterling while I have a think, because I have the power to do that as podcast host uh, <laughs> that you can but this is a trick question for me I all I oftentimes feel like I'm the worst person working in VFX right now because I don't remember anything from the movies I see it's like in one ear and out the other uh, you can ask me what the title of it was a week later and I won't remember uh so I really I don't have a favorite I mean my favorite that I've worked on so far this year was Barbie I can tell you that you know what? I'm, I've got an answer, and it's not a frame store show, which I might get shot down in flames for. And it was <laughs> technically out last year, but I watched it this year. So I'm in my, me and my friends have a film club we started during lockdown. So we watch a movie every week and we review it every Sunday. And our number one film that we reviewed this year was Everything Everywhere All at Once. Oh, yeah, Absolutely that's a great film. That, movie. that is incredible. Absolutely. You know what's great about that film? The unpredictability of it is was what captured the audience I think yeah I love that and the whole kind of uh, parent parental dynamic that was going on like it literally was everything it wasn't it, it kind of covered yeah amazing visuals I don't think the VFX team was hugely big on that that show as well I think it was quite a small team but it looked incredible and all the different yeah. worlds and metaverses but and the performances were great and it was just a really lovely film like it made you it, it's going to sound like a corny kind of film review now, but it made you laugh out loud, but it also made you cry. And I love films that kind of really take you on that emotional roller coaster. But as a spectacle, I thought it was brilliant. And everybody who won Oscars on that absolutely deserved, oh, yeah. deserved their, their, their flowers. 
genuinely aspire to that level of chaos in my life. <laughs> the style is just amazing. But another one I really enjoyed, sorry, this is, I'm not even the guest on this, is uh, the new Evil Dead movie. I love a horror movie. and uh, Oh, I haven't seen that. I'm going to add that to my list. Evil Dead Rise was uh, quite the roller coaster ride. I really enjoyed that. Anyway, there's lots more. Right, you've got me on a roll now. I'm going to stop. Um, Suze, what's yours? Come on, don't leave us in suspense. Well, I it's not it's it, the film that I was going to bring up um, was actually released in 2020, but I just saw it recently, um, and it's called The Father, um, oh, starring yeah. Olivia Colman and Anthony Hopkins. And the reason um, I'm kind of giving that a shout out is because I just love the unpredictability of it. It's a really sad film. Mm. Um, but, um, I've seen it more than once now cause I loved it that much. Everything about it, uh, like the, the, the stage set design, the lighting, yeah. the acting, the music, I mean, everything just was so moving. Um, so, and it's not, it's not a VFX movie. Mm. It's just, and just, an, it's so unpredictable as well. I just couldn't work out what was going on, you know? So it was, uh. It was it was fantastic. Wow, wow, yeah, I, I, it's on my list. It's on my list. Uh, it's uh, I, I'm, just, I'm storing it up for one of my film club uh, choices, but I have heard very very good things about it. And uh, yeah, it's quite a. Hey, I'm, I'm with you. I love a big VFX spectacle, but I just love a story that just has. A, I love the films that happen in one location as well. Like other films that just are about the, they're almost based on plays. You know, they're really kind of you can take you on a journey. Yeah, no, exactly. And this film mostly happens all in one location um so it's um it's gripping in this because you know if you watch it more than once you'll you'll notice subtle changes throughout the whole thing and it's it is very cool i've got loads i want to talk about but we we're going to go over time or it's already a long episode and rightly so Suze. but uh, great answer um okay right another really important question is who would you like to hear from on the podcast next and why um, you're not allowed to say Mike McGee. That's a given. It's going to be asked. I'm doing that. It's happening. But, you know, who would you like to hear on the pod, Suze? Um, I am going to pick Humberto Renaga from uh, IA. Nice. He is head of editorial. Yes. Um, Humberto moved uh, from LA to London just before lockdown. So, unfortunately, he got here and he was, like, stuck in his uh, flat with his wife for... Wow. A couple of years. Well, yeah. <laughs> but now we're all back in the office and we've got to know each other in person better. And he's just a great person. He is exactly all of the things I was talking about earlier. Positive, yeah. talented, uh, hardworking, uh, approachable. Um, and I think he would have a lot of really great stories and advice for, for people listening. Absolutely. And, and a great story there as well, you know, coming from uh, the sunny shores of LA and then having been stuck in a flat for two years. Mm -hmm. So I think we can, uh, yeah, definitely get Humberto on the, the podcast hit list. So again, Humberto, if you're listening, I'm coming for you. There's no escape. <laughs> um, okay, right. So we've landed at the, uh, our, fi our final questions uh, that are a little bit more lighthearted now before we, we hand over to Sterling uh, for our Thursday episode. And it's the one meal that you uh, you could eat for the rest of your life, Sue. So it's the question everybody wants to hear, which is what's the one culinary dish that you could eat forever? I'm actually going to pick a potato because... <laughs> potato. Oh, you're going for the kind of hat. I'm going for of... a potato because you can... Yeah. Potatoes make all my favorite foods. 
That's true. You know, you can have like a, I'm half Indian, so you can have aloo pontas and you can have crisps and chips and it just makes such great treats. I love that. So you've gone for a, rather than kind of a standard dish, you've gone for like the hack. So, you know, how, how can I can get mo- a food stuff that you can kind of get the most out of like an egg? My, my desert island food is definitely crisps. I am a crispaholic. Really? What's your go-to flavor? Oh, uh, sweet Thai chili. Oh, sweet Thai chili. Nice, nice. Excellent. I'm, I'm, I'm here for that for sure. If I was I'm living in Canada, it would be all dressed or ketchup. Oh, okay. And I'm really sad they don't have those flavors here. <laughs> I know that kind of sucks, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, if uh, if anybody wants to curry favor with your Sue's around the studio, they can bring you a nice big bag of uh, sweet chili crisps. <laughs> Good to go. What about you, Sterling? What could you live on for the rest of your life? What, what, what's going on in Canada, culinary wise? Uh, well, my dish is actually not one from Canada because I am from the Midwestern United States originally. Uh-huh. And so my ultimate comfort food is Cincinnati style chili. Do you know what that is? Well, I don't. It sounds delicious. Though. Okay. Uh, it's chili, but it's not a very spicy chili. It's kind of a mild chili. Uh, you put whatever you want in the kitchen sink in it, but you've got to serve it over spaghetti noodles and you've got to serve it with an absolute mountain of cheese on top. Yeah. Classic American Ooh, dish. That sounds is. good. Sounds delicious. Oh yes. <laughs> Pasta cheese and oh guys, all, all the, all the, all the carbs and the, and the, the dairy in there. I'm here for that. Uh, Jazzed up spaghetti, basically. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's spaghetti bolognese and American style. (laughs) Awesome. Right. And before I let you go, uh, we need to get uh, your additions to the Framestore podcast dailies Spotify playlist. I've got to get a snappier name for that playlist. Um, It started with episode one where he talks about the the, the music you listen to while you're working, uh, while you're doing deep work, because we don't walk around with Sony Walkmans in anymore or iPods, or I'm showing my age here. Um, but what, uh, what's your go-to tune, Suze, when you're working? What do you have in your, in your ears while you're getting your head down? So sadly, I don't listen to a lot of music when I'm working because I'm kind of running around. Um, but I have come prepared with Ace a band not a particular song but i really love dead can dance and i love listening to lisa gerard excellent okay we'll we'll speak offline to get some specific tracks for the the playlist that's a great shout what about you sterling what are you going to get on the uh on the playlist i one of the things i love about working from home uh is that i like to sing while i work and (laughs) in an office that's not always appreciated (laughs) but some of my favorite kind of chill tunes uh to sing to it's actually a, a local montreal band who are on the international stage now though called half moon run oh i know uh, half moon run i've got some okay there you go yeah. i've yeah. seen them more times than i can count on my hands uh and i have tickets for another concert this fall so highly recommend nice. two nice eclectic takes i love it thank you both so much so we're going to bring part one to a close now thank you both so much super interesting conversation i'm very excited for the the more techie deep dive that sterling has prepared where we're going to have a big comp loving and i'll just sit on the sidelines and get to enjoy that but uh for now it's monday it's the end of part one we'll see you on thursday for part two thank you susan sterling you've been great thank you well that was part one Join us for part two of the Framestore podcast this Thursday, where Sterling takes over proceedings as co-host and interviews Suzanne. We'll see you then.